Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. So typically, if you've been with us uh, on a Sunday, it's just me standing. It's me talking and uh, teaching. But this morning, I have the honor uh, to teach with my beautiful wife. So this is Kate. Uh, She is typically in the background where she likes. (laughs) But we are out of our comfort today doing it together. And I fully believe you're going to get some wisdom from this woman. Uh, We are in week three, three, I don't know why two came up, uh, but we're in week three of a relationship series that we have called The Love That You Give. And uh, honestly, it has been a relationship series that has little to do with um, a dating relationship up until today, Um, but it's been about how do we have healing in our current relationships? Because I'll tell you, the healing that God brings is not always just this way where we want our relationship with God to be just us and God, actually the most powerful healing. That's why it says, confess your sins to one another and you will be forgiven. It says, lay hands on one another and you'll be healed. There's this power when we do it together. And so as you've heard multiple times, uh, we, we are really quick of wanting to be alone on things or thinking that that boy or girl that will be the other half to us will be all the answers for us. But I will tell you again this morning, Uh, Spoiler alert, we're talking about sex and sexuality. And spoiler alert, the most healing people in your life will probably be the same-sex friendships that God is wanting to build in you. That is where so much healing comes, is when we find a sisterhood, a brotherhood to walk with. And so we'll talk about this. If you're single, you're welcome. You have a place here. All of us have sexual wounds, sexual uh, beliefs that are wrong, beliefs based on our culture. We're we're talking about assumptions this morning. We're going to be talking about our pasts. We're going to be talking about the pasts of those around us. We're going to be talking about the way the church has or hasn't handled things. And my hope is that healing comes from it. Uh, We are really excited to dive into this. So this will be a two-week, two-part topic on sex. This week, we're talking about our past and present. And then next week, we're going to get very practical on what does it look like to actually have healthy connections with those around us. And so that's what I'm excited to dive into. If you will do me the honor, though, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. God, I thank you so much for how good you are. I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that by your stripes we were healed. I thank you that in uh, your big picture, you don't just save our souls, but you bring us into a kingdom where we are not alone, where our, our, our gifts are made present. And so God, I pray for healing in this place. In your name and for your glory, amen. So we're going to start off with the phrase that we have kind of coined for this series, and that is that healthy sexuality, healthy connection um, heals broken sexuality and broken connection. Um, So whatever your past is with sexuality, whether it's um, actions or beliefs or whatever, whatever is in your past can be healed today. God uses that to heal um, your sexuality today. And we want to start off by saying, like, there is no... Um, there is no condemnation today. We are not here to impose any shame. Like that is from the devil. That is, that is not the purpose of this. We just want to get to like, what is God's truth? 
And um, so we just want to be here to encourage you and to uplift you and to do this work together. Like we aren't here to give you a checklist of this is okay, this isn't okay, but really everything about this is like, how can we display holiness? How can we grow more um, in Christ um, by ourselves and with each other? And how can he use these relationships that we have to like, to heal the past and to change the future? Yeah, in Romans eight, which is where there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right after that, he says that we are more than conquerors, but Christ. By his grace, we are more than conquerors. And so we'll get into this more and more uh, as we go on. But if I could be transparent, God doesn't just want you to conquer in your life. He doesn't just want to undo the things of your past. He doesn't just want our marriages to conquer. He wants us to be more than conquerors in them. And so that's like a whole element. And what, what it looks like is it's not just a victory, but it's a ripple effect of victory. That means that when my wife and I are, are victorious, are living in more than conquerors. In our home, there's a ripple effect that transcends our children by our healthy sexuality. There's a ripple effect that goes out to the couples around us, the people around us. And this is in all things, in all ways. God wants you to be more than a conqueror. So that as you engage with brothers, as you engage with sisters, there is this ripple effect of victory that is given, that is handed over, and that is communicated to people, and you can tell when someone's a believer often, because there's this ripple effect of victory that transcends out of them, and so that's what we're praying for this morning, and I stand over that truth, like, you, I stand by the truth of healthy sexuality heals broken sexuality, because it's really, um, it's really our story. Um, my story. And so as we get into this, I just want to start off like uh, we're going to be talking about marriages. We're going to be talking about dating relationships. We're going to be talking about single people. All of that is there. Because if I can be a little bit vulnerable with you, um, I was not prepared for how much um, my broken sexuality would hurt my marriage when we signed on for it. In fact, I was really excited to be married. We are almost married nine, nine years, right? In a month, we'll be nine years. Um, so we, we have some, some crazy kids, four of them. If you never met them, I'd love for you to meet them. They're, they're awesome, crazy, but awesome. Um, but I remember our wedding day. I was really excited to get married, but the most transforming thing about our wedding day actually has nothing to do with sex. And so let me already prepare you for that. But as I was on the stage, I remember very visibly standing up there with, with Pastor Brother Ronnie, Brother Ronnie, and I saw her. And a lie came into my heart that stuck with me for the next two, three years. It was, she is pure. She is beautiful. Wait, we'll get to the lie, because it's always a, part of a, always a part of a truth. She is beautiful, pure, untouched, unblemished, and you don't deserve her. And as she walked, that's what I felt. And that's what I felt. And then we got to say the I do's, and I put it aside. I didn't feel that, and I, you know, I'm not going to concentrate on that. We got to dance. We ate a lot, of, a lot of food. Not really, no. You don't eat on your wedding day. People just keep talking to you. And so we danced a lot, and then... The next time that that lie came was as we were about five minutes from the hotel. 
She's perfect. She's pure. You aren't. You don't deserve her. And I remember um, that night, actually, it was, it was really heavy of shame. And for a while, uh, as we get into this, the, my past kept being brought up. And the most memorable part of that evening was that God rewrote for me what intimacy was because it had nothing to do with us being sexually intimate. It had everything to do with me vulnerably opening up and then her doing this and praying. That was our wedding night, just prayer. That was it. But what happened that day set up a course, a trajectory of our life that, that we want, like, I need healthy sexuality to heal broken sexuality. Hands down, and some of you, you are, like, even in her was misconceptions, right? And so we'll get into this, but this has been our story, and this is what I'm praying over all of us. I mean, honestly, that wasn't what I had imagined for a wedding night, you know, like, <laughs> I had this beautiful picture of like this awesome time that we're being together and it was that, but it just was different than what I had thought. But I look back now and I'm so thankful for that moment because it started us off on this step, this foundation of like, no, you have to like learn what true intimacy is. Like you have to learn um, to carry each other's wounds and each other's burdens. And like, I didn't expect to have to learn that so quickly, but because of that, we now, I feel like we created this way of now knowing how to deal when things um, come up. And so, I mean, we had, we had a lot to talk through, you know, all these different mistaken sexuality, and we realized that there is this progression that happens um, as we learn and grow about sexuality. So I want to get into that. Um, I'm going to talk through the progression, then I'll go back and kind of explain each one. So first, we are mistaught sexuality. We just aren't taught the right thing. Sure. Yeah. Then we, we have a mistaken sexuality because we've been given this wrong information. Then we begin to misuse our sexuality. It's not used in the, in the way that God intended. And then we have a misunderstood sexuality about ourselves and about others. So going back to this first one, this mistaught sexuality, like this happens all the time all around us with media, with the church, with, you know, your friend on the school bus that taught you like what sex is. Like it's, we're just mistaught sex and sexuality. And so then we have this mistaken idea, like we are given this information that's wrong. And so then we form a belief around it that is also wrong. And so now we have this deep rooted belief of what sexuality is. And of course, as we know, all of our actions stem from our beliefs. So this is the misused sexuality. So then we take these wrong ideas, these wrong beliefs, and then we start to like act those out. Like if this is how it's supposed to be, if I'm supposed to dress this way or it's supposed to happen like this, then that's how I'm going to play it out in my life because that's what I've been told and that's what I believe. But it doesn't always, it doesn't actually have the effect that you thought it would. And so then you're left with this misunderstood sexuality, like this wrong identity of what sexuality is in yourself and others, because now these 
wrong beliefs that you have are now deeply rooted because you've had these actions that confirm it, but you're just left confused because you're like, I thought it was supposed to be this way, and that's the way I did it, but I don't feel the way I thought I would feel. Like, I'm not feeling loved, I'm alone. Like, I'm not confident, I'm insecure now. Like, I can't trust anyone. Like, this isn't the happiness and joy and like butterflies that I thought it would be. And so then we're left, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing it wrong? Like, and there's this shame and this confusion that we just are left with and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And this is, this progression is seen in everything. And so as we get into this, we're going to rewrite this progression of what real, true sexuality is, how that then it can go into a correct view, how it's used properly. And I will be honest, we, I remember in, when I was in college, I was in a class called family sexuality and boys, uh, if you're a parent in the room, uh, it is powerful. We're about to have these conversations. We were talking about this with our seven-year-olds because uh, there's something even mentally handicapped that happens when the first person that teaches you about sex is a friend. Then it instantly says that the friends are the authority figure or culture is the authority figure versus my mom and dad. And now that, that, that's so transformative. So if you are a parent, like already start getting into the process of like, how am I going to teach my children this? Because you, if you're the first person to hear it naturally, their, ch- their brain of a child will now associate you are the, you are the all knowing, you know everything about it. And so I will go to you with questions. My friends don't know everything because I heard it first from you. And so it just, that's just a little side and I wasn't planning to say that, but, but misconceptions, misteachings are all around us. I mean, think about media. We are so desensitized by, by sexuality. In fact, like uh, we see a lack of clothes and we just think that's normal. We don't, even, we don't even realize the travel of our eyes anymore. We don't even realize where our mind has, has gone. And it, it's, it's interesting how it goes because then it gives us details of what it should be like. You remember last week we talked about the word should a lot, how uh, the most damaging thing is when we start shoulding on ourselves or on other things. Some of you were like, I miss all of that. You can listen to the message. I'd love for you to. But media tells you what it should look like. Media tells you what a, um, a couple, a relationship should be like. You start thinking that, that sexuality or, or crossing boundaries is a milestone that you should have done because if you, sh- if you feel that way, then you should show it this way. Media starts showing us what men should look like, women should be like, men, women should dress like. And even though we want to know the truth, the shoulds are all around us. And it ends up being all through us. It's interesting. Porn becomes a normal thing. Masturbation, I'll just say, it becomes just a thing that's a part of culture. That's just everyone does it. It's all good. And media just likes to teach going on going and going. Marriage is either like it's easy and unspoken and marriage people just do what they do. And so those of you who get married and, and you didn't know anything about sex, now you have no idea what's going on. Or media likes to paint marriage as like the end of your sex life. And so we have these education that is taught, and that's just in culture, not even in the church, right? Right. (laughs) Um, The church has done just a really poor job of talking about sex, just honestly being afraid to bring it up and afraid to answer questions, honestly. Um, Sex is just, it's bad, and then when you're married, it's good. And that's pretty much it. 
Um, there's no explanation, and you're just like left with that. It's like, okay, it's bad now, but later it's going to be good. But then if you do have sex before marriage, the church tells you that you're not pure anymore, that you can't get it back, that like everything is hopeless now. But like that's not what God has called us to. He doesn't say anything is hopeless. But like that's what the church has been saying. There's this shame associated with if you have messed up, Mm, you'll never get it back. It'll never be the same. But that is not what our God tells us. Sorry, I was just going to get oh. going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Um, another thing that the church just ugh, makes me so angry um, is apparently women are responsible for men's lustful thoughts. That what I wear determines their thoughts instead of just me wearing what I'm wearing. That's annoying. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. No, culturally, though, think about it. In our evangelical churches, we don't teach what it's like to um, the discipline of guarding our eyes. We tell women to guard their bodies so that we don't have to as men. As if, like, we're visual. Boys will just be boys. I'll tell you, that is a lie from the devil. No, boys will be redeemed people by the blood of Jesus. And like, it's just like, oh, men will be men. Men are visual people. No, like, I will trust the goodness of God to heal my fleshly visual problem. And like, we just like mess it up. In the church, we mistake it and it goes blind. And then it was taught. I remember the books that we read, the books. How do we have a good sex life as a married couple who are believers? Well, it's all about her my needs and what she can give. It's all about my sexual needs and what Kate gives. Never about her needs. When it is, it's always emotional needs. No, women are not just emotional beings. Like, there's so much more. And so it's really powerful, the, 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 I guess the degrees, it's very mild, but the degree of change that one lie can be, and then 10 years down the road, that little tiny degree of change has led you that way versus this way. I will tell you, men, we need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that we don't assume like, no, like, I don't need sex in order to be close with you. But that's a lie told. It's a lie told by our culture over and over, and it's taught by our churches. The church has some, in, in the past, some really strict like gender roles um, associated with sexuality. So every time I ever heard anyone teach about pornography, it was always like, okay, boys, if you're dealing with pornography, then like you really need to get it together or whatever. And they just like never mentioned women or like girls, like just it just wasn't even spoke of. And so then you're like in the room and you're a woman and you're like, oh gosh, I watch pornography too. But he didn't say anything about me. Does that mean that like I'm really different? I'm really weird? Like my it's, worst type of woman? Yeah. Am I just like just the the worst ever? And there's this shame associated with like even just not mentioning that that's something that women that women struggle with. And then yeah, like what Greg was saying about like sex drive. Whenever we were getting married, like so many women told me like, no, your husband's going to have like a really, really high sex drive and like you need to help keep him happy and stuff. And it's, what if, what if the woman has a higher sex drive? Like it, it is definitely possible. Like, and that is okay. But 
if the woman then has never heard that she can have a high sex drive does, again, what is that being taught to her in her mind? Like, am I weird? Am I different? Like, is this wrong? Am I not who God created woman to be because I am different than everything around me says? And even, even for men, like, I think, like, there are men that need more attention, need a slower buildup. Like, they are not just these ravage animal-like sex creatures. Like, they need closeness and intimacy, too. But, like, but that's not how it's been taught. Our culture puts men in a category. And then you think you have to be like yeah. that. But that's not true at all. By the blood of Jesus, like, I am not a visual person. I am a redeemed person, right? Like, and so as we get into this, these misteachings, like, misusing, we got to move forward and out of a lot of things because uh, it's, it's interesting, especially with the church. It's this null curriculum, uh, which, which is uh, less about what is actually spoken, but more about what isn't. And that's what the, te- the, the teaching of the church has typically been. Not what is spoken, but we learn by what isn't. And some of us, as this, we have legal, like very legalistic opinions on, on sex because it was never spoken. Or it's this hot topic or God doesn't care or God does care and doesn't want you to speak on it. And all of this is a curriculum that is not spoken by what we actually teach. But it's spoken by what we've cho- chosen to keep silent. And so this morning, I want to know what God really does say. This morning, I want him to rewrite this progression. And so as we get into this, I will tell you, he, purity, even in the sense of that, is not even about obtaining purity by actions or thoughts. Purity was given by the, by the blood of Jesus on the cross once and for all. And so I need you to know right now, if you're a believer in the room, there's this framework that I want us to work with this morning. Romans 8, Paul says this, that those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. And that's in media. We can see that in culture. We see that in people. But listen, if you have the blood of Jesus washed over your heart, if you are, are in him, then those who live according to the spirit, they set their mind on things of the spirit. And guess what? Healthy sexuality is a thing of the spirit. Healthy connection is a thing of the spirit. The two become one, that is a spiritual thing. And so this morning as we get further on in this, I'm going to ask you to just be with us, all right? Don't allow the enemy to to lead you in a thought, in a fear, in a doubt, in a worry, in in an anticipation of what we're going to say. No, sit back with the Spirit and let Him lead, all right? I know that might sound weird, but as we get into this, we're going to be opening up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is probably the most... Um, explicit chapter about sex. And the reason why is because Corinth was like a Las Vegas of the day. In fact, uh, Corinth was a little bit even worse. Like if you, if you wanted to go to where a public or- orgy was, you would go to Corinth. For real, if you wanted to get money from your body, if you, were, if you were cast out of your family and needed to pay wages as a woman, you could go to Corinth and expect a very high paying job. Corinth was a place where you could find satisfaction everywhere. There were temples where, where male prostitutes were. There was a whole lot. Uh, it was just overly saturated with sex. But also in Corinth has one of the most vibrant and largest churches that Paul planted. 
And so now you have a whole hodgepodge of people. You have Jewish men who've never seen a woman without their head covering. And you have male prostitutes who that was from their past, who now all by the blood of Jesus have come together in a church and men are finally dating women and Gentiles are realizing that that they could date Jews and people are looking pretty and they're finding relationships and lawsuits were happening. Confusion, pains, angers. And so they wrote to Paul asking, what the crap do we do about all this? We want to live right. We want to live holy. We want to do things correctly. But what do we do? And so this is essentially where he picks up in chapter 7. Or is it chapter 7? Chapter 7, verse 7. Verse 7, yes. Okay. It says, In fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, and believers at that. Do you not know what wrongdoers do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I, Paul, will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other in the end. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Now, it's really interesting and important as we get into this. That word fornication is a hard one to understand. It's not a part of our culture. It's not really in our vocabulary anymore. But the word fornication simply means a sexual act of a general kind. Some of you have deemed fornication as like sex in a bad way or pornography. And fornication has just been this, this very sinful, the worst of the worst connection. But instead... It's very powerful. Fornication is any sexual act of a general kind that is without the faith of Christ, that is apart from his goodness. And so it's really powerful when we open this up because Paul is saying, hey, your stomach was literally made for food. And food was literally made to fill your stomach. Like the way that your your stomach processes food, all of that is made. Like that's how it was. But the body was not made for a sexual act of a general kind. The body was made for the Lord, and the Lord is there for the body. And so just as, it's just this change of thinking, the the world cannot help but look at sex as a way to fuel me, like food to my belly, as a way to satisfy me, like food to my belly. But when we have the Lord as that, then he transforms the general act of a, a sexual act of a general kind into the possibility of holy connection. And so this is really important as we get in on this. The, the, the purpose is I want the Lord to satisfy me. And then he teaches me what healthy sexuality is through that by, by, his, by his word and all of this. And so it's really interesting. Holy connections can only come by being fueled foremost by Jesus. And so as we get in on this, I will will say this again, but if you're married, fornication happens all the time outside of the blood of Jesus by married people. 
Why? Because it's a sexual act of a general kind without the blood of Jesus. And so it's fornication. And yet we deem that as not as if married people can have sex and and it's not a sin. No, it's still without Jesus being the satisfaction. The connection is not pure. And we got to reshape how we think. And so let that sort of fuel where we're going, all right? But he continues. Paul says in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are now members of Christ? So should I therefore take a member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united with the prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. And it continues, but anyone who's united with the Lord is one with him. So shun fornication. Shun a sexual act of a general kind. Because every sin that a person commits outside of the body Every other, every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, sorry. But whoever sins sexually sins against their body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that you have from God and that you are not your own? And he continues, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then he gets very practical in chapter 8. I love it. He says, hey, now to the question that you're asking me about, He literally says, for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring in your church, each of you should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now, before the enemy gets a foothold in any of these these truths that he wants to taint, listen to me. Nowhere in scripture can you find this, this blatant law, this blatant word that says sex before marriage is a sin. All right? Nowhere. You can't find it where it says uh, premarital sex is sinful. It doesn't verbally say that. You can search it, do it, but it doesn't. But what it does say is this, the closest thing to it is chapter 8, verse 2, where he says it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. And the reason those of you who need to know this, the reason is because of what everything else is said in the Bible. Every other time that scripture in the Old Testament, the Jewish tradition, the way that God has ordained it from the beginning is that when man has sex with woman, they are married. And that's like, the, there's no, there was nothing more. There was no wedding that you planned for and prepped for. It was this action that symbolized the commitment. It was a covenant that was made upon the, the closeness. And so throughout scripture, if someone was to sleep with a woman, they were to be married, legally bound to be married to each other. It's, so it's really interesting. This is why Paul says, he quotes that scripture of you should leave the father to go to the wife and y'all should be one flesh. He literally quotes that in saying, hey, if you have sex with a prostitute, you'll become one flesh. Why? Because you'll be married. And it's really interesting what is happening. I need you to know that this is why scripture doesn't say explicitly what you want it to say. It's because throughout scripture, God has ordained his people to be for one person in sex. And it's really interesting. Now, all of this to say, our God is a healer. So don't let the enemy get any foothold by what's happening. So, sorry, I'll, I'll pass it. <laughs> I think um, the enemy and, like, just church history and stuff, they, like, they don't want us to ask questions about this. They don't want 
Satan doesn't want us to think about why God has made it this way. But what I love about any command that God has given in the Bible is that there's always a deeper reasoning. It's not just this, don't do that because I said so. That's not, that's not who our God is. But there is a deep reasoning and a meaning behind every command that he gives. And this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, think of the book of Leviticus. You, like, get overwhelmed. Like, don't eat that bug. Go over there. Stay away from this. Like, it's very interesting, but, like, if you practically look, that bug uh, in Scripture, I wish I had the, the place, that bug will actually destroy the liner of your stomach over time, and you'll die. So, like, God just knew, I want to command all these things to keep them moving. Even circumcision in and of itself. For a nomadic men, the biggest way to get an infection is the foreskin. So I'm going to get them to cut that off so that they can walk. And there's this long-term perspective, not just to be set apart, not just because I want that, but because I also want holiness and I want life for them. And these men are going to be walking. And so when he says sex, there's for a reason of life. So whenever I think about this, um, why would God want to save sex for marriage? Like, what is the big deal if it's like everywhere... So we have to think about, for me, I'm kind of a nerd. What, like, what is the biology? Like, what, what is happening in our bodies when sex happens? I don't know. That's, that's where my first thing is. Because if you're looking at Leviticus and it's like, oh, that bug will eat your stomach. It's like, okay, like, is there something, like, physical that happens? So the answer is yes. Whenever um, you're having sex with someone, when you're in that intimate bond, um, there's a lot of hormones raging, obviously. You've, you know, that happens. Um, one of them is called oxytocin. I think we've mentioned this before. Um, oxytocin acts as a neurotransmitter. It is called like the bonding hormone. It is also released um, during labor while you're breastfeeding. It helps a mother bond to a child, but it's also released in an intimate relationship. And so it literally creates this chemical bond with another person and with um, like that feeling of closeness. And oxytocin also does some other things that's actually really interesting. Um, it's shown that oxytocin increases feelings of trust and feelings of empathy. So if you take what oxytocin does and you think about it, and let's say you have sex with someone and then you break up. So now you have this chemical bond, but you also like are trusting that person a whole lot and you have this intimacy, like how much more is it going to hurt you, like emotionally, like wound you, when you have all this baggage that God's saying like, you don't have to have that, like you don't have to bring all of this in. And so I think that like for me, that's whenever we're researching is like, this is kind of like the physical reason like behind God's like desire for marriage being with one person. Yeah, and I will just tell you right now, I just, the Lord puts this on me, there's scripture that says what God brings together, let no man separate. Mm -hmm. You know that? But think about this. What men bring together, God can separate. And so I need you to have that like peace right now because there are bonds that we, can, we make all the time that can turn into we, what we will say strongholds. But what we add together in our life, I mean, my whole life is full of strongholds. But what mankind bring together, our God is more than powerful enough to break. 
So let me just speak that what God brings together, no man can break. But what men bring together, the, the hands of God can destroy. And so there's strongholds that he is longing to break in our lives. In fact, uh, these bonds can go unnoticed for years. One of my professors in college was a sex therapist. And I would love to be that one day. Like, I would. Like, I, it's just one of my favorite topics to talk with people. But he was a sex therapist. And in class, he was telling us um, that there was one um, couple that was really struggling in intimacy together. The, this man and woman had a lull in their marriage. They're about 10 years married. Like, it's been a while but they, they just stopped being able to connect. And the man was really struggling with being present. And so they, in these conversations, ongoing conversations in therapy, uh, they decided one, one evening to role play a cowboy cowgirl scene. And now you may laugh, I promise this has a, this has a point. And he was able to perform. And so as they're talking about this in therapy, he realized at a very young age, his first encounter with sexuality was a, uh, a magazine that he would take behind the barn, his farm, and he would obviously do things with the magazine. Now, in the background of this magazine were his, his boots, and he had chemically connected with his boots. And now this is crazy, but our brains work in this way where he was chemically connected, which meant until God rewrote this, he, his mind would gravitate really quickly to sex when his boots were with him. Now that you may think that's just crazy, that's too far gone, like I'm not like that at all. No, this is why abuse remains in a marriage, because they've chemically connected with the feeling of abuse. And it's really hard. It's really hard, but strongholds happen all the time. And this is why Paul is saying, like, outside of godly connections, outside of godly connections, a bond can be formed, and that will always be a stronghold. So Paul is saying, I get, like, Corinthian church, you can do things because it's illegal. And guess what? Like, you're saying, like, it's, a, it's a, under law. I can do it because it's, it's my right. But I'm not going to be dominated by anything, Paul says. Because he knows that any connection formed outside of being fueled by Christ will become a stronghold. And I don't want to be dominated by anything. And so it's this really huge thought process. Single people, couples, are things beneficial is a question. Is it beneficial right now for you to have sex without talking about your day? Are you going to continue a stronghold? And are you going to be dominated by anything by engaging in sexual relations with your wife right now, that's your unspoken vulnerability hasn't happened yet. You see, often we miss the mark and intimacy never happens. But if you desire victory in your life, then there's this rewritten that happens. Our, our Lord takes strongholds and rewrites them again and again. So I wrote this down. Um, where am I at? There we go. I wrote this down that, that sometimes we think it's a stronghold with that individual, but can I be honest? Often it's a stronghold with what that individual made you feel. Now I need you to know, even the married people in the room, you may have a stronghold of fear associated with that. 
Some of you in the room, you may have a stronghold of doubt or insecurity. I had a friend who his, uh, his wife struggled to take off her bra during, uh, during uh, sex, and the reason was because for years she felt insecure while doing it in her past because she hadn't yet grown into herself. But there's a stronghold of fear, a stronghold of worry, which then was a stronghold of I'm not really going to trust myself with them. Sometimes it's a stronghold of insecurity. Sometimes it's a stronghold of self-doubt. Sometimes it's a stronghold of, of distrust. And distrust is heavy, right? Yes. Um, thinking back of like that oxytocin and its like ability to create this trust, um, whenever that's broken, it's really hard to overcome that. And even like with your own spouse, it can be hard to like trust because of your wounds, because of your past. Um, but intimacy isn't, isn't just sex. I think trust is like one of the most beautiful things about intimacy. Intimacy isn't this act. It is fully knowing someone and letting that person fully know you. And so there's this beautiful thing in scripture um, where it says uh, Adam knew Eve and they had a son. It wasn't just this... Um, I don't want to say the word sex because that feels weird, so I'm going to try to pick another word. Um, it wasn't that case at all. He wasn't trying to like not be explicit, but the word no has such a heavy and beautiful and deep meaning. Uh, Dave, David um, writes it in the Psalms, like, God, like, know my innermost heart, like, know who I am fully to the core. And that's what intimacy is. It's this being able to say, like, I want to know you and I trust you to know me. Um, I wasn't going to say this, but um, on our wedding night, besides this like praying and like this laying the foundation, the thing for me was like, okay, I have this moment where um, I'm going to have to take my clothes off. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I thought to myself like, okay, this is scary. I could just not. Or do I trust him with me? And that was like right before this, this prayer time where like he had to trust me then. And it was just like, it just clicked in my mind like I trust him to know me. And that is what intimacy is. It's just this knowing of each other. And like God desires this intimacy um, for all of our relationships, not just not just our spouses, but like our friendships. Like he wants us to be able to fully trust and know each other because we are all one body, we're all together. Yeah. And he wants to use each other to help heal these broken connections from the past. Sure, and it's really important. Uh, it can also, sex can either strengthen intimacy or it can weaken intimacy. And even in God-fearing relationships, uh, being married, guys, it doesn't automatically mean your sex is okay. And this is like, often like the church teaches us sex bad, ring makes sex good. And like that's, no. In fact, like if the desire for true God-given intimacy isn't there, then fornication will happen. And we don't realize it, but strongholds will either be rebuilt or they will remain. 
And the best way for those to end is through intimacy. I mean, Paul himself will tell the Corinthians uh, at the, in the middle of chapter 7 that if you are inflamed with passion and desire, then get married. But if you aren't, stay unmarried. Um, because he, he literally tells them in that section that as a married couple, your wife, husbands, now have authority over you. And your husbands, wives, now have authority over you, that there's this shared submission and shared authority that though you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, one with him, you are now one with another. And strongholds will remain if intimacy isn't sought simply because you are now uh, trying to overdo the authority of another. And it's very practical. As Kate and I engage in healthy connection, uh, those of you who are married, mutual submission will always lead you to vulnerably opening up. Like we talked about at the very beginning, a, a stronghold will remain in me of insecurity or of doubt or worry or even past pain if I don't speak it up. And so then any action or unaction that I decide not to do when I withhold myself, that is still fornication. That's still stronghold allowing to take root in my heart. We, we've said this many times, uh, and it's, am I like using Kate in this to either have a, for my bad day that I had, or am I wanting to be known by her? That's the whole difference between uh, just a connection and a physical sense and an intimate one that heals us from bad things. Um, and so when Paul says give, giving your spouse authority, it literally means that you intentionally allow trust to lead you to open dialogue. Sometimes if, if you realize that you're withdrawing or struggling to open up or struggling with something or a bad thought gets in your mind, you pause, you pray, you discuss, you submit, you hand over. And honestly, uh, we had to come to realize this in our own marriage. We have to realize that the stronghold of our spouse or the strongholds uh, of your fiance or the, the boyfriend or girlfriend, that may have very little to do with you. But their healing is something that God has graced you to be a part of. And being a part of that uh, brings us back to the whole more than conquerors. God doesn't want our sex life to just be right, to be um, at zero, to like not be wronging each other. But he wants it to flourish. He wants us to have this more than conquerors mentality in our sex life that um, we are seeking each other. We're seeking those wounds and that to heal them and to create that intimacy um, but we have to do that hard and holy work if we want our sex life to flourish, to have this abundance mentality. Um, but you don't have to wait until you're married to start doing that work. I think it's so important to talk to those who are single right now that this is, like Paul said, this is your best opportunity to seek holiness, mm. to, to be one with the Lord and grow more like him. Um, and not for the purpose of when you're married to like have things figured out, but like we, Greg had mentioned before, all of your connections, all of your relationships are so transformed by your misused, your misunderstood sexuality. So like as a single person, if you start to recognize um, these wounds, these lies about sexuality, then you can start healing those with those that are around you, that sisterhood, that brotherhood that you can lean on, that you can grow with and they can help you um, in that way. And then if you do desire marriage, um, and God leads you to that, then you have a better way of like vocalizing. Like you've been able to recognize where those strongholds are. Maybe you're more comfortable talking about them and that's yeah. going to 
be such a great foundation that you have whenever you go into marriage. Um, something that Greg and I tell couples when they ask for marriage advice is that when you're married, your wounds become their wounds and their wounds become your wounds. And it's the same with victories. We just have this mutual shared wounds, mutual shared victories that we get to be a part of. And that's what we really pray over our, our people. That's what we pray over those of you who are marriage uh, seeking, those of you who are, are single and proud, those of you who are, are, are married and want to continue that way. Uh, you are more than conquerors in Christ. And the ripple effect of victory that God is longing to bring in you today is not something uh, that you have to wait for tomorrow. Uh, there are relationships right now, transformative ones that, that God can bring healing from. If we would just pause and do the work of asking, what are those strongholds? What are those misbeliefs? Uh, I don't know what your background is like, but one of the biggest hurdles that we must allow God to break down in our culture is this perception of purity. Honestly, it was not lost the day that you lost your virginity. Those of you who have a, pa a background with, with past uh, sexual history and pain, and if it was, then we would be striving to earn it back, and that would be what the Christian life is about. But purity, uh, honestly, in a realist of sense, it wasn't even present when you were born or when I was born. Instead, it was gained once and for all upon salvation. The cross of Christ made an avenue, a way for purity to come in me. It was an action, a transforma transformation that can never be undone. And being pure simply means to be without blemish. You know, Jesus on, on the cross through his blood made us pure. He made us whole. He made us without sin and wrongdoing. And we can have this real idea, this real purity within our relationships where there's nothing there in between us, where we are clear and transparent. There's nothing getting in the way of having that healthy connection with someone if we just take a minute to address those wounds that we have, those um, false beliefs that we have. We can live in purity, transpar transparency, honesty, and true intimacy with one another. Yeah, and we will get into how this practically looks next week. I mean, if you have questions on sex, please let us know this week. Um, we are going to dive into how you can have a healthy sexuality very practically today, whether you are single or investing in a fiancé or a married couple. Um, but as we end in, one of the things that you we want you to spend time processing through this week, uh, we got four questions for you. Maybe you need to jot them down as you hear them uh, so that you could process through them later. But these four questions are going to allow you to do the work uh, today to, to allow that more than conqueror nature to take hold. So question number one is, what are the lies from culture, from my past experience, or even from the church that I have believed for far too long about sexuality or sex? And honestly, maybe it's something that you weren't prepared to answer until today, hearing this message, uh, hearing this walk out. I mean, maybe you never realized the depth of pain that the culture has caused you, or you never realized the level of strongholds, or even the bonds that you've made with feelings or fears or doubts from your past experiences, or even how the church hasn't spoken about things. So what are the lies that you have believed? And that leads really into the question uh, number two, if you want to write, it, write this down, what strongholds may still be at work in me from my sexual history? 
And this is really personal. I mean, your sexual history may be that you are a virgin, but you still have a sexual history. There's still things that you've been taught, still mistaken sexuality that has come from it. So what are strongholds that bonds, even if it's a legalism, bonds of legalism that that remain in you and, and it's powerful for us to work through? The third question is, are there times in my marriage that I react from a stronghold instead of responding to my spouse? So think of those times where you might feel this tension, where you might feel um, some walls go up. Maybe you're, you're distracted or you feel hurt by something and you react. So try to think of like, is there a stronghold in my past that is creating um, this tension with my spouse? And like, how can we conquer that stronghold together? The last question is, what would it look like to be more than a conqueror in my sexuality right now? What type of victories would I have to seek? Whether you're single, you're dating, you're married. um, Are there any lies that need to be battled? Who would be a part of that process? Who can you go to um, for that mutual intimacy, that uplifting? Is it a best friend? Is it a spouse? How can you really live this abundant life um, relationally that Jesus really wants for us? Yeah. And that's what I absolutely love about the gospel of Christ is that he literally undoes and, and makes better our life. And so that's what we're praying over you. But as we close this morning, um, I really want to just remind you of the heart of the gospel that by uh, his stripes, we were healed. There is no impurity in, by the blood of Jesus. It's just purity. It's wholeness. It's beauty, and so he's bringing beauty out of ashes and into all of our sexuality, all of our past and very present. So will you pray with me as we end? Father, I just thank you so much for this talk. I thank you for the ability to uh, hopefully turn expectations uh, around this this whole taboo topic of sex for the for the longest time. Now we get to speak about it in a powerful way on a stage. I thank you for the opportunity to do so. I thank you for the ability to speak into where people are and to issues that are very relevant. So God, forgive us for every time that we've allowed strongholds to take root in our relationships, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships. God, strongholds that are so based off of either either our culture or our pains, or our our lies. And so, God, we deal with them. Allow them to come to the forefront of our mind. Allow them to be spoken about in our our sex life. Allow them to be at that topic tonight as we eat dinner together. And I pray that good things come from the hard work of being honest and vulnerable with one another. May we truly long to know and to be known by one another. In your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.